0: God's faithfulness is what we're going to talk about this morning. And sometimes it's encouraging, I don't know about you, but uh, to see how God uh, responds, how God uh, speaks to, God communicates with those whom He says He really loves. And we were talking last week about how He appears to Mary, and uh, Mary just being an ordinary girl, one of, I, I keep saying this, but one of the biggest. Uh, Damages. I think, one of the most unhelpful things the church has done over the years is to, to call everybody that God's spirit touched, they put them in a stained glass window and call them saint. And what they've managed to do is say that everybody who Jesus worked with and everybody who God's spirit touched is somehow super spiritual and we cannot attain to it. And for centuries and centuries and centuries, it's been um, this lie Oh, well, if you're going to pray to God, pray through the saints, pray through Mary, pray through Paul. And it's all nonsense. Because what Jesus did on the cross and what God did through Jesus is everything that needed to be done. He didn't need any other little helpers. Um, And the reason why I speak so strongly against it is because um, it separates us. And it, it takes away the very thing that God gave, which is saying, if I can do this with them, I can do it with you. As opposed to, no, they're a little bit better than you. Mary was no better than anybody here. Mary was a peasant girl. She lived in a little village. She was was, uh, engaged to a guy called Joseph. And they were totally surprised that God would show up on their doorstep and say, you are highly favored. No more surprised than you would be for God to show up on your doorstep, as he has done already, and says, you are highly favored. The biggest challenge for God is getting us to actually believe what he does and says. It's funny because Christians argue so much. They argue about God. They argue about what he can do. People have left this church because we talk about healing. They left this church because you talk about gifts of tongues. Left this church because you say people can have demons in them. People leave for every reason under the sun. And yet you say, so the origins of Christianity are totally unbelievable. An angel appeared to a virgin... An angel appeared to her fiancé, an angel appeared to her aunt, an angel appeared to her uncle. Her angel appeared to a lot of things, a lot of times. The whole beginning of Christianity is rooted in the supernatural, is rooted in a God appearing in human form in an unbelievable way and beginning to do unbelievable things. He lived an unbelievable life and he died a very believable death on a cross and then he rose from the dead in an unbelievable way. And then he poured out his spirit and said, everybody else can do what I've been doing. It's all unbelievable. That should be encouraging. Because one of the ways that we begin to see things change in our walk with God is when we begin to embrace what is unbelievable. And what happened in the time of Mary and Joseph um, was remarkable, but if you look at the political history and the social history of Rome and the people of Israel, if you want circumstances that aren't great, go there. There's an oppressive government, there's slavery virtually, there's huge uncertainty, there's economic challenge. It's a time of great violence. Circumstances are way beyond most people's control. Life isn't fair, and in the midst of that, God comes. Because one of the things I'm learning, and it's taken me a long time to learn, is circumstances are no reflection of anything. If you've counseled families for years, you know that. Apparently good parents can have very troublesome children, and lousy parents can have the most amazing children. You go, I don't know how this works, because the dots don't always add up. And the older you get, the more you realize that, don't you? The dots don't always add up. All kinds of things happen. That's why it's so dangerous just to judge on surface level, or to draw conclusions, to give advice. It's easy to give advice. Have you noticed that? I always know what's good for somebody else and I have huge amounts of advice for everybody else And it's about, well, then why don't you take it yourself? In consulting, it's called the binocular trick where you magnify your value and you minimize the value of everyone else. It's, it's, it's just amazing what we do. And I want to speak a word of encouragement today. Um, rooted in in Mary's experience to say if you want a miserable life spend the rest of your time um, navel gazing about how terrible you are and wishing, wishing your circumstances were different. You will be locked in that prison forever. Or blaming is another one. Make sure you blame somebody for your life. Um And I've done those quite a lot. And it really is useless. And Mary comes to this place where she's carrying and she gives birth to this son who is named Jesus. And in Matthew, we read what happens after Jesus is born. Matthew is written by a a man who's rooted in the Jewish faith. And so, when you read Matthew, he gives prophetic words, he gives scripture references, because he's trying to explain the revelation of Jesus into the Jewish culture. Now, you already know that the Jewish culture was rooted in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament was closed 200 years before, which means nothing else was added to it, at least 200 years before the birth of Jesus. They had very, very intelligent people studying the scriptures. They copied those scriptures because scriptures, uh, new ones were valuable, old ones weren't. They didn't value the old, they valued the new. And the new scriptures were what they lived by, they interpreted them. They had the best minds looking at the scriptures, working out how God was going to work because of his history. They had concluded that Israel was God's sort of favorite, which was a wrong conclusion God used Israel because he had to use somebody. And he wanted to use Israel as a demonstration of how his love was manifest among a people. Israel, like many people, as soon as they feel God's noticed them, they start saying it's because I'm important. And then they start taking what God has gifted them with and taking it on as a right and entitlement and then a, a reason to puff myself up over everyone else. And God says, you know, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Because even my chosen people got scattered. My chosen people didn't enter into the inheritance I had for them. No matter how much I love you, I cannot force you anywhere. So if you want to learn lessons from Israel, you learn that. God's desire for them was freedom from from Egypt into the promised land within a year. What happened for them was they never really got into their inheritance because they never believed him. Because you cannot follow a supernatural God naturally. You cannot follow a supernatural God who has actually created us to be supernatural on earth by trusting in yourself. And everything in us is geared towards living on earth. Everything in us is geared towards control. Everything in us is geared towards, if I don't understand it, I won't do it. And what Jesus was demonstrating when he actually grew up was how to walk by faith, trusting in him, not in him. And it is something that one has to learn by doing. And you keep learning by keep doing. Because as soon as you get used to one level of faith, you begin to die. You've got to keep moving, stretching. And many of us settle for Sunday school faith. It really is nothing. There's no faith. It's just, I believe in something and then I get on with my life. And That's not a rebuke. It's just if you understand your tendencies, you've got a better chance of changing. You cannot follow a supernatural God naturally. And Mary and Joseph are a prime example of that, that God takes the initiative. He comes to them and he says, you who are highly favored, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and supernaturally create life in you and you will give birth to my son and he will be the savior of the world. And and Mary, I don't think, goes, yep, that's cool, got it all. I really don't think Mary gets beyond pregnant. How can this be? And what will Joseph and his family think? You see, God doesn't have to wait until we understand before he moves. And Mary very quickly realized this is way beyond her. And she's a bit scared because if an angel appeared, I probably would go, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, but, but, but. And eventually she just says, let it be so. Because there was enough in her that recognized, I don't understand this. But I have a faith that at least tentatively believes this must be real, and I better just go along with it. And so Mary begins to conceive, well, conceives and, and begins to carry this one Jesus. And she goes to Elizabeth, who's already and I talked about all this a, year, a week ago, so I'm just repeating it because I didn't have time for the sermon this week. Um, so that's a total lie. But some of you weren't here, so you wouldn't know anyway. And the others weren't listening, so it's like new anyway. So you know what the heck. Um, and Elizabeth, who's old, you know, and she's like beyond this, and I'm not going to have any children, has a child too, and she, they're all amazed. And what God is beginning to do is upping the supernatural presence in people. Why cannot I, as a creator, make a virgin pregnant? For goodness sake, I can. It's easy. I am a supernatural God. I'm far greater than you, but I'm coming down to your level because I love you. What I'm doing is working out. A way to get your attention, speak your language, so that you will be able to fulfill all that you were intended to fulfill. And you've got so much Alzheimer's and you've got so much negativity that you cannot even cons- comprehend of what I'm actually inviting you into. And you settle for so little, and you think that becoming a Christian is why I sent my son. He said that is the most inane reason. I did not send my son so you would become a Christian. I sent my sons so that you would grow up as sons and daughters of the living God, who will be called Christian, maybe. And so, you know, there's something encouraging in these words, believe it or not. And one of the words is that sometimes we need to validate the things that we struggle with. You know, we struggle with religion. We don't like lots of things in religion or Christianity, and yet we participate so often. So we have this tension. Them is us. And so the more we talk about it, the more we can begin to separate it and say, well, why don't you then do something different? And so Mary and Joseph, as Jesus was conceived and born, they needed the assurance of of God in other people. And so he began to give them assurances through Elizabeth, through Zechariah, through other people. And we read how Mary pondered these things in her heart. And you would think that, you know, Mary's yielding to, Jesus, to God and Jesus being born and Joseph saying yes after a revelation from God and an angel. Um, you know, what if that's God's normal way of working? What if God said, I intended every life to have revelation from angels? I intended for you to walk with assurance in my way just as much as Mary and Joseph did. What if it's not an exception? He says, this is, I'm restoring the norm of Adam and Eve walking in the garden in the presence of the Lord, safe and secure. What if that's what God actually intends for everyone, every one of us? And what he's trying to say is the reason you don't have that is because you do not trust. And I'm not rebuking you because the good question to follow you do not trust is, well, teach me to trust. How many of you want to grow in learning how to trust God? Well, then embrace the circumstances you're in and get on with it. It's really that simple. (laughs) Sorry. it's Stop using excuses. Stop having pity parties. Stop saying you don't understand. Half of us are in the circumstances we're in out of our disobedience or our unbelief. Why? Because I'm going to take control. Why? Because I'm afraid. I spoke to somebody last week. They're in a terrible circumstance, but they're trapped between fear and fear. And I'm not going to say any more because it would be too indiscreet. But it's quite funny because... You can describe circumstances where you really look like the righteous one. And when you peel it away, you're becoming half the problem. And God's truth is what sets us free. And it's all about trust. So Mary and Joseph, I mean, they've, they've done an amazing thing of going yes to God. You know, the wedding plans are shot. The parents are kind of scratching their heads going, what are the children coming to these days? I mean, they didn't have drugs to go, what are you smoking? But they, they must have wondered. Because I don't know whether the parents got any revelation. Joe and Mary. So she has the baby. And you think, well, you know, this is, I'm just playing with you now. You know, God loves me and his favor is upon me. And I'm the mother of his son. He wants me to be happy and secure and have a nice home so his son can grow. Right? And we get totally self-absorbed and think, well, I've done a very good thing. I said yes to an angel nine months ago, and that should keep me going for the next nine years at least. And God's much-loved son, who is in the hands of this peasant girl, and Joseph, who's a carpenter and probably doesn't know how to hold a baby but knows how to hold a plank, Um, they, they, they go up to the temple after eight days because they're going to have Jesus circumcised. And this is my little talk on baptism. They didn't wait until Jesus was old enough to say, would you like to be circumcised? You see, there's an individualism in our culture that just doesn't exist in God's economy. You didn't ask to be born, since when do you have the right to decide all kinds of things when you're three days old? So we now have the nonsense of, Johnny's not going to get circumcised or go to church until he's old enough. And now he can even decide whether he wants to be a woman or a man, apparently. If you want to see demonic thinking going crazy, no, they're part of a community. It's not just Mary and Joseph. It's their whole community. And if you want to see that at work, you know, come with me to India. This community is powerful. And so eight days they take... Jesus to the, t- to the temple. He's the son of God. Why does he need to be circumcised as a mark of repentance? Because he's entering into the whole of what it means to be human. And he's, he's entering in and saying part of being human is living in community, is actually sharing a community of faith, a church. It's part of what brings you alive. It's not all about you. It's all about what you're going to give to that community. Apparently, we meant to do a talk on giving as well. And, and, you know, there's this whole discussion. I'm just playing around here with tithing. And, you know, I believe in tithing and I don't believe in tithing. And I go, I couldn't care what you believe. What happens if, for instance, giving? This is my two-minute talk on tithing for this year, which is just nearly finished. What happens if tithing, which is giving 10%, are like training wheels on a bicycle. And you go, 10% is the basic minimum. You say, well, you know, uh, that's too much. Well, look look at it another way. God says to you, look, I've got a deal for you. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you a place to live. I'm going to give you lungs and limbs and everything else. I'm going to give you all of this, and all you need to do is give 10%. You'd be saying, yeah, 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 I want that. That's a good deal. For all that we are given, 10% is nothing. But 10% is actually a training wheel. Those are for the people who need like, I go into the store and I say, I want to buy a computer. And they say, well, what do you want? And I say, I don't have a clue. I know nothing about computers. Sell it to me. Well, that's what tithing is to me. I don't have a clue. What's God's sort of basic minimum? What will get me? Well, 10% is sort of where he starts. Is it a rule? No, it's not a rule. It's training wheels. When you actually enter into a relationship with God and relationship with Jesus, you take the training wheels off and say, only 10%? You must be kidding. Take 25 That's when it becomes a heart issue. When you know the love of Jesus and respond to the love of Jesus and the giving becomes much easier, it doesn't matter. You don't go to the minimum. You just go to, what more can I give? That's my teaching. Simple. I hate rules. But I also know that when you say, oh, it just depends on people's hearts. Well, people's hearts aren't always sorted out. So sometimes you need the basic discipline and the heart will follow. So it's both and. But I know that the heart is much easier. But sometimes you start with the discipline. Mary and Joseph weren't given choices about what was going to happen. When Mary was... uh, This does all tie together, by the way. I'm trusting that will happen. Because what I'm trying to share with you this morning is if God can do this with his son and their parents, be encouraged in your own life. Because Mary did not get, and Joseph did not get, a blueprint. He did not tell them what was going to happen next month. He said, Are you willing to allow me... To live in you. Which is what he says to everybody. Mary's yes to God for Jesus is the same as the yes that he asks each one. of Is there room for you and is there room for me in your life? I am the giver of your life. And there are consequences to your answer. But I am so gracious that I build the house. I give you the house. And then I knock on the door and say can I live in it with you? And some people say no and some people say yes. And as they make room for them in the inn which is my life the inside. He says, now we're going to go on an adventure. Now, every parent here with young children, you do not sit down and explain life to your children. You don't explain how you make an income. You don't explain how they're going to get food. Everything about the spiritual world and working in the supernatural has its kind of um, toy box version in the reality of our lives. If you who are evil know how to look after your children, how much more will I? So children come into this world uh, with an inbuilt facility to trust those who gave them birth. And the one who gives birth nurtures them and and begins to to, to develop relationships. It's that development that happens intuitively, and then it begins to get words on it, and then it begins to get definition, and then it begins to get discussion, and then it begins to get free will. It's exactly the same with God. It's exactly the same with God. He teaches us. He nurtures us. He leads us. Uh, In some ways, it's almost the reverse, because we come to God fully developed, kicking and screaming, and it's almost like he has to reduce us back to infant child, where he says, now, trust me completely. And so Mary and Joseph, with the revelation of what God gave them, and he gave it to them in their own dream and in their own thoughts and in their own circumstance, he gave it to them through people they knew. It's exactly the same as why walking in a church is so important, because God will give us the support we need through other people. We are not self-sufficient. And some of us, the reason why we never get anywhere is because we continually stay isolated. We either have attitudes and horror stories that justify our position, which are only convincing to ourselves, and probably not even that. So even disciplines like coming to church are like our training wheels. I'm going to place these things in my life to help me get there. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know if I get these training wheels, at least I've got a better chance. Begin to ask God for people around your life that you can talk to initiate going out for coffee saying how do you believe this why do you begin to pursue something yourself and see what happens sit around waiting and watching television good luck walk in here and go to sleep good luck i'll earn some of it but i won't earn all of it there's an element of attitude there's an element of you come in i, I sat in lectures for years and got nothing out of them i started learning how to learn when i took a piece of paper and i began to write and when I read, I began to underline, and then I began to write. When I began to engage, things began to change. It was much easier. With God, the same is true. You come in here with the Bible. Why? Because I'm going to follow what's read. And I'm going to come in here with a piece of paper. Why? Because I'm going to jot down a few things. Just to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to prepare my mind. I'm coming with the expectation that something's going to happen. Fifty percent of hearing God and following God is about the expectation and the way that I turn up. And nobody else can do that for you because the chances are whatever you do here, and I'm, not, I'm just using here as a symbol, is symbolic of the rest of your life. Do I go expectant or do I go, uh, does it make sense? This is actually meant to be encouraging because it's actually the encouraging bit is you can actually do something. It's not difficult. Because to become supernatural, you start with the natural. God says that a lot of times in the scriptures. He says, start in the strength you have. He said that to Gideon. He said to the people as they were coming out of slavery, every step you place, I will give you in the promised land. He does demand something of us. It's not a lot. And so Mary and Joseph say yes to Jesus, and they give birth to the Son, and then they go to the temple, and they bring their son to circumcision to be part of the Jewish faith. As they're in the temple doing the circumcision, there are two other people who are prayer warriors in that temple who have been there for years and years and years, and they speak a prophetic word over the parents and the son. Never remember their names. Who are they? Hannah is one of them, that's right. And Zechariah. Grief, I'm way out of whack with my... I'm way out of whack. Simeon, that's right. Song of Simeon. Never mind, we'll just work it all out. And these two, it's in Luke chapter 1, these two speak prophetic words. What is God doing? He's reassuring them again. He's saying to them, you're right where you need to be. And they go, they're go living probably in Nazareth. But you see, there's, there's, even, there's even conjecture over when Jesus was born. Some would say he's born 6, uh, six BC. Uh, he's not born on zero. He's definitely not born. Our, our dates do not align completely. Um, But the big the big discussion comes around when was Jesus when did Mary and Joseph go to Egypt and there's there's a whole conjecture from between within the first two years of Jesus' life because when the the wise men came uh, to visit and Herod got hold of them he had every child killed boy killed between two years and under which means that that was at least the time span that would have been possible. Why where am I going with this? I'm going with this to the place of Within two years, all hell breaks loose. Um, I spoke, you, you remember Micah who came from Uganda? Uh, Micah came from Uganda and, and I'm actually going to go and visit his church at the end of February. If somebody wants to go to Uganda, come along. Um, and he said in a note to me last week, he said, you know, one of the big problems here is the prosperity gospel. He said it's everywhere now, which is this American model, and I, I'll call it for what it is, coming in saying... Uh, come to Jesus, give me your cell phone, and I'll get rich uh, because I'm going to be the pastor who's going to help you come to Jesus. And then um, give God all that you have because uh, he he desires you to be rich. It's not in the the Bible at all, but it's very seductive. So he says, now you have everybody saying, well, God will bless me, God will forgive me, God is full of grace, so people sleep around, their lifestyles don't line up. Um, so who better to ask to come and heal Uganda than me? So I'm going to go and talk to them and sort them out. But, you know, it's, it's, it's what tickles our ears, isn't it? We all want to hear that. God loves me. God has a purpose for my life and he doesn't want me to be in any trouble. And that's why I keep saying, what if we learn how to go? Trouble does not exist. Challenges exist. Unfairness does not exist. I just actually am so grateful that God has given me a life and I know him. So watch a little video of somebody's testimony, um, see how that goes. It's coming.
1: For more than 20 years, Burma, my homeland, has been in a civil war. Most of the men are forced into either slave labor or the army. So 17 years ago, my family and I fled Burma along with two million other people and came to Thailand. The Thai government allows us to live here but we are not considered citizens. My name is Pichui. I'm 30 years old. My wife's name is Jane, and my son's name is Big. When I first became a Christian, my parents were very upset because they are Buddhists. They sent me a letter asking me to quit being a Christian. They felt I disrespected them and betrayed the family. This makes me very sad, but I know that God is with me and looks over me because I know God. I'm happy. I'm at peace. Since we are not Thai citizens, it is sometimes difficult trying to find work. But God has a plan for us and has provided a job doing constructions on a new housing development. In the beginning, I didn't know much how to do the job. So I pray and I ask God to give me the ability. My co-workers all know that I'm a Christian. Some of them make fun of me, mock me calling me Jesus because I'm not Buddhist anymore. It doesn't matter what they call me, I just do my job, I'm honest, and work as hard as I can. And I know the boss will see the quality of my work. I see my job as a chance to serve God, not myself. Because we are not citizens, we are unable to stay in the same place for very long. Today, we are told we had to move out of our home. We have been given 24 hours to pack up all our things and then tear down our shelters. This happens often. We are forced to move so a new housing development can be built. We've gotten used to moving, but it is still very hard. We just accept it. It's the only way to survive. I like in the Bible where it says to trust and to obey God. And he will take care of and protect you. And he will give you new life. I like that. And whatever happens, I don't worry because I know that God is with us and we are with Him. Hopefully one day we will return home. But whether we are in Thailand or Burma, we know we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of God's kingdom.
0: I think they capture there what God calls us to be. And you see that a lot in the undeveloped world, an an acceptance and a reliance and an openness that is disarming. It's actually disturbing. But there's a sense of trusting God even though all the circumstances of life are so fragile. There's encouragement there. You know, God says, you know, we are often more challenged than they are because to whom much is given, much will be expected. So we have a lot to learn how to get rid of or not to be ruled by. See, the other side of it is we have so much to be generous with as long as it doesn't hold us. And so Mary and Joseph, they're settling into their new life. They've got Jesus Jesus as their child. They're marveling at it all. And then this decree comes that Herod's going to kill every child under two years old. God, why would you give me a child? Remember Abraham with Isaac, sacrifice. Why would you give me this child? And now he's going to be in danger. So God, caring for his child, doesn't, he hasn't told them this before, but just in time he gives them the revelation, says go to Egypt. And Mary and Joseph are living in their lives. When the angel appears to Mary, Mary is not so self-aware and so spiritual. She says, ah, Isaiah, prophetic word, I'm fulfilling it. She had no clue. But God had a clue, and as Mary yielded, that word would become real. And eventually she might actually place herself there and say, I am that one. How amazing. Part of understanding God's faithfulness is when we actually begin to start placing Him at the center and not ourselves. When we stop placing ourselves at the center of our lives and we place Him at the center... You know, I sat with somebody quite a while ago. They're not here now. And they were in tears as they talked about God because they said, I want to, I want to follow you, Jesus. And, and in some way, God communicated with them and said, um, will you give me everything you have? And he stripped them down to family and spouse. Will you give? Will you give? Will you give? Yes, came the tearful response eventually. And that's what God will do. He says to us, I will have no other gods. You will have no other God." He doesn't negotiate, he merely waits for the gods to fall. And the reason why we often get stuck and struggle is because we refuse to let go of our gods. You can call them whatever you like. Truth is truth is truth is truth. Mary and Joseph had a revelation and they were told to go to Egypt. They went to Egypt. I don't think they went to Egypt going, we're fulfilling a prophetic word, but they were. They were going to Egypt because God's people went to Egypt. And in the strange way that God pays attention to detail, his son went to Egypt, the place of slavery, and then came back out to Nazareth. But God used the circumstance and Herod was uh, making threats. And so they went off for three or four months or three or four years. It's not clear. And then came back to Nazareth. And they came to Nazareth because God gave Joseph a revelation again or a dream of going back and saying it was re- he was safe to go back. But if you read the scripture, it says he was afraid of the next ruler, so they withdrew to a place called Nazareth. Did Joseph go, I've got to go to Nazareth because that's where it's pro- pro- prophesied that the son will be? No, he was afraid of the, the person who was in charge and he went, but God used that fear and used all the incompleteness of who he was to fulfill his greater purpose. And that tells you that God is able to do exceedingly more than you understand or imagine with you and if God is able to take Mary and Joseph and through one of the most volatile violent periods of history keep his sons safe and navigate them through how much more or easily can he do the same for your life as we end this year and go into the next year why be afraid when you have God's faithfulness to watch over you You're only afraid when you're at the center because then you have to work out the solution. When Jesus is at the center, you walk with faith. You get used to not knowing. You're not stupid because you have a community around you as well. But you learn how to walk with Jesus and the community into whatever the future holds. That's called interdependence and humility. It's a very powerful combination that God uses. So, as we wind this up, As we go from an old year to a new year, what changes? And I just simply ask this question as we approach a new year as a church and as individuals, who is at the center and who controls the outcomes? You see, faith is believing God for the outcome. You can study every person God has used in history. They've never known where they were going to end up. The paranoia of our time is if I don't know where I end up, I'm not going to go. Some of us are still stuck in, if I feel uncomfortable, it can't be God. (laughs) That's a lie from hell. If you're going to follow the living God, there's somebody who is going to be uncomfortable and it's not going to be him. But he has you. And you who are evil, you tell your children that all the time. Daddy, I'm afraid. Don't worry. Trust me. Daddy, I don't want to go to school. I'm afraid. Trust me. Every single thing that your kids will do for the first time, they will need encouragement to say, you can fail, you can take a risk, you will be safe, we are here. It's exactly the same spiritually. And the biggest lie of all is if you trust God, he's going to wreck your life. You and I have already done that. The life that you and I have right now is nothing close to what God desires for us. It's much, much better, it's more fulfilling, it's more powerful, it's more impacting in every way. But we're tasting at least a little bit more than we did maybe a year or two ago. Does this make sense to you? Not really. Never mind. You see, Mary allowed for mystery. And the core of walking with Jesus is embracing mystery. The parts you don't understand. I do not understand much, but I do understand his love. And so I would put Mary's word, Mary's name into this. This mystery for the M. A for accepting two truths that I am highly favored, that, I, that God really does love me and invests in me. It's got nothing to do with making me rich. I am highly favored and he is highly faithful. So I cannot fail. I can just learn. The R of Mary's name would be a reliance on God's faithfulness and goodness. I'm going to actually walk into this new year with expectancy, hope, and confidence that he has me. And when I fail, maybe I should say if I fail, no, I should say when I fail, When I fail, he is faithful to draw me back because I am willing to be drawn back. Sometimes God tells us through other people things that we need to pay attention to. Sometimes we fail because we've insisted on doing what we want to do. And I'm a great testimony to that works really well. You will will never, ever be able to make what is wrong right. So there's an element of learning how to yield to Jesus and yield to God and trust him with our lives. Trying to fit Jesus into my plans is futile. Ask the Pharisees how that went. So there's freedom that comes in Mary's last letter, yes, the why for yes. I want to finish with a a quote from a a story told by John Wimber in a book that I read before but picked up. Um, And he's talking about the art of trusting because that's part of what I'm talking about here. How do I trust God with my life in the circumstances and don't get discouraged by circumstances? Trust is letting go of our need to control outcomes, letting God be God, When I taught in this area with my congregation, the internal conflict of choosing to trust God came home to me when a member of our church shared her story with me. And I want to share this story as we end. This is the woman's story. Two years ago, I came to the realization that aborting three of my children when I was young was a sin. I went to God and repented. Part of that repentance included the Compassionate Life Ministries program at the Anaheim Vineyard, for women who have had abortions. It was there that I received healing and forgiveness from God. My husband and I then realized we really did want children. Up to that point, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Last year, we got pregnant twice, and we miscarried both of the babies. It was on October 3, 1995, that John Wimber told the congregation that he felt like the Lord wanted to heal barren women. When my husband and I went forward, the Lord asked me, Do you trust me? And I thought back, I lost two babies this year, Lord, I did what you told me to do, I repented and received healing, and now you want me to trust you. No, I don't trust you, I just had to admit. I can't go through any more deaths, I just can't do it. I was in agony, and he whispered back to me, if you don't trust me, I can't bless you. At that moment I realized I was at a crossroads and had to make a decision. I was tying God's hands and he couldn't do anything until I trusted him. Still, I had to be honest. I don't trust you, God. I can't make that up. Help me. I want to trust you. I want to learn to walk with you. Two days later, our doctor called and said that he had found out why we kept losing our babies. A month later, we conceived. Baby Faith was born nine months later and full of life. She went on to share from that point in time that when she decided to trust God with her life, that even in more challenging circumstances, she had learned the art of trusting and this is the kicker. He's so much better at my life than I am. You see, God is not religious. And God is not scared of a mess. And he's not scared of conflict. And he's not scared of calling us on our stuff. He loves us very, very deeply. But as we become real with him, so, so that woman could say, I don't trust you because of this and this and this. And he says, well, then I'll show you. Give me something to work with. And I don't know about you, but I am, I, I'm just bored with my own, my own excuses. I want to know the fullness of God. And if I don't know how to do anything else, I do know how to say, I want to, know, I want to want to know. So I give you permission there. Let's stand. Let's ask him if you want to do exceedingly more than we can imagine. Let's start with God's has no favorites. Just ask you, Holy Spirit, to be present here right now. And ask God to speak into your own heart. Ask him to show you where you're not believing him or where you've placed things at the center that are getting in the way. There's no condemnation at all. It's actually called revelation. Because he's saying, I want to respond, but you won't let go of this so you can't take hold of that. You're going to have to trust me, not the thing that you're holding on to. So, Father, I just speak death over everything that is a lie in our lives. I speak death over those things that cause us to not trust you. I speak death over those things that are getting in the way. And I thank you that you come to us without condemnation, And you just say, give it to me. And we can even say, Lord, will you help me to want to? And so, Father, we open our hearts to you. We open our lives to you. And we just invite you in afresh. And pray, Holy Spirit, that you will awaken in us things that maybe we've lost sight of. You will awaken in us the life of Jesus. That you will give us the same faith that Mary and Joseph had to trust you even when the circumstances around us seem to be going in the opposite direction. And we bless you that you're faithful. And so we're going to choose, Father, to trust your faithfulness, not our understanding, not our circumstances, not our wisdom. And we're going to choose to live in the place where we hear you say, you are my highly favored son and daughter. And we want to enter into the fullness of all that you have placed in us, that we might live lives that are full. And thank you, Father, that every single person here is included in that. Because you don't have any favorites. You love us as much as you love Mary and Joseph. So I call up faith to believe. And I call up courage. And I call up boldness and expectancy and hope to rise. And I call up a holy dissatisfaction in ourselves that we will not be satisfied with mediocre. And we will not be satisfied with where we are now. But that you create in us a hunger and even a desperation for us to be motivated to keep moving forward. And that we'll enjoy the journey. And that in the midst of our lives, in the chaos and in the good times, we'll be able to say thank you, Jesus, that you're with me. So we bless what you're doing among us in Jesus' name. We bless you. And just place your hand on the person next to you and just pray God's blessing over them. Just find somebody to put a hand on. Don't pray out loud for them and don't go into a long diatribe. But uh, just speak blessing over them. And if you're not speaking blessing over anybody right now, God is going to curse you because you're selfish. That's got some of you moving. I mean it seriously. Do it. Because somebody needs your blessing right now. And so, Father, just release blessing in your name, Jesus. Thank you. And just let it flow backwards and forwards. Receive blessing in the name of Jesus. Receive blessing. All the cries of your heart, all the things that have weighed you down, God says, I have them. I'm with you. You're not alone. I have a future for you. And I, and I say to you, you need to be blessing somebody else because some of you don't believe you're worthy to bless somebody or you're too weak or you're too messed up. Well, God is faithful. God just needs a plastic gutter to flow through. You are it. So make sure that you're releasing blessing as well as receiving it. I speak strongly because some of you are really stubborn. <laughs> as Graham Cook says, with the best will in the world and all the love in the world, I tell you, do it. Bless somebody else. Thank you, Jesus, because as you give, you receive. And so, Father, thank you that we can look forward to the new year. Thank you that we can look forward to more than we can ask or imagine. So just thank him in the name of Jesus, and we're going to sing a song to give him praise. Look around you. You all survived. That wasn't that bad. Nobody died. Thank you, Jesus.